Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple that you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. We've got a special one for you today because it's time for the best of quarter two. On this week's episode, Kula Callahan and I are going to deliver some of the very best insights from our podcast from the past three months. David, I'm so happy to be here, and I love these episodes. If you've been around How Leaders Lead for a while, you know that we absolutely love a highlight reel. And although it's really hard to choose the best clips from quarter two, that's basically what this podcast is, a highlight reel of the greatest hits from all of the amazing conversations that you've had this quarter. And if this is your first time listening to a best of episode, get ready because we're about to hit you with some real inspiration from some of the world's very best leaders. Well, the first week of April, we aired my conversation with Uri Levine, the co-founder of Waze. And one of my favorite moments was when he talked about the importance of every business defining the problem that they solve. So here's Uri from episode 129. If you solve a problem, it's guaranteed that you are creating value. Now, in particular, if you are starting a new journey, then you are seeking for value creation. And the problem is the easiest way to do that. And for a second, I would say there, there are probably three reasons to do that. One is the story is way easier to be told, right? And that makes your marketing easier. That makes your customer acquisition easier. That makes your... Uh, raising capital is easier. An easier story to be told is, is significant. But the, the most important part is the problem remains the North Star of your journey. And when you have a North Star, then the deviations that you're going to make are going to be shorter in time, shorter in duration. It's easier to keep the focus and execute the plan uh, when you have a North Star. And that is really pretty significant. There is another part of it, which is the mission that combines the, the company and all the people that sign up for this mission, whether or not they are the employees or the customers or everyone, they want you to be successful because you are going to make the world a better place by eliminating that problem. And you end up with uh, three key factors that increase the likelihood of being successful. All right, you know, how do you know whether a problem is one you should pursue. And give us a couple examples if you could. I will start by saying, you know, when, when you think of a problem, I really want you to think of a big problem, something that it's worth solving, something that the world will become a better place if you solve that. And then ask yourself perhaps the most important question, who has this problem? Now, if you happen to be the only person on the planet with this problem, then I would say, go to a shrink. It's going to be way <laughs> cheaper than, than building a startup, right? But if a lot of people actually have this problem, then what you really want to do is go and speak with those people and understand their perception of the problem and only then go and build a solution. You know, Uri is absolutely right when he says that defining a problem creates a North Star for your company. And after you get this problem identified, you then have to take people with you to actually solve that problem. And how do you do that? You do that by not only capturing the minds of the people that you lead, you do it by capturing their hearts as well. 
Listen to this clip from episode 138 with Oscar Munoz, the former CEO of United Airlines, and he'll tell you how to do this well. I think we forget as leaders, we can get caught up in ourselves, our intellect, our strategic mindset, our education and learning and how to present things logically and and, and attack the mind in trying to solve issues and trying to prove to people how intelligent your path is. We also learn over time that the path to true engagement and true release of someone's discretionary effort is not only capturing the mind, but the heart as well. And that's storytelling. You know, we can all, you and I can sit and and give a very technical transportation and prove mathematically, historically, empirically, uh, anything. But to get the people that work in our business, and you had the same kind of uh, people in yours, Uh, These are salt-of-the-earth humans who come to work, earn a paycheck, have lots of issues at home, they don't have a lot of money necessarily, and what they do have in their life is the place they work and how they feel about that. And and for me, capturing both of those things is important, and I have found that the best way to capture those is to tell stories or be part of a story. Well, cool. I'm sure you remember from that Oscar interview that when he took over as CEO of United, he spent 37 days on a listening tour. He believed the best strategy would come from spending time with his team and customers. Now, a lot of CEOs use that very same technique. And Annie Young Scrivener, the CEO of Wella, told us about how important she thought it was to get out there and listen to the front line, listen to her people, and find out what's happening. For our next clip, we'll jump right in and have Annie walk us through her approach to those listening tours. This is from episode 131. I'm going to give you another name that you know, and that's Craig Weatherup. Craig Weatherup (laughs) was the head of the board. One of the things that he taught me is to do an extensive listening tour. And I ask simple questions. Tell me three things that you're really proud of that you would keep doing, three things that you would stop. And if you had a Harry Potter magic wand, what's the two things that you would do to change the trajectory of the business? Then I synthesize that, and then we put a plan in play. And the Canada business was not performing well at the time. By the time I left, it was accelerating, and the next person that came in continued to accelerate the business. Annie, you've had some incredible leadership opportunities. You don't get those opportunities unless you really grow the businesses that you've been a part of. If you had to boil it down, what would you say are the real keys to growing a business? Creating value for the companies is critical. So a couple of things. One, do the listening tour. And you'll find that there are golden nuggets, ideas that's really consumer relevant that you can probably double or triple. But also figure out within your industry, what are the problems that hasn't been solved? And are there innovation ideas to solve that? I've always doubled down on a couple of things and ensure the entire organization is aligned. And value creation is both getting growth, but also ensuring that your growth becomes more profitable. So what are the things that's not driving profit and how do you remove that as well so that you could reinvest? David, I've heard you talk so many times about how leaders cast a shadow in their organization, meaning that employees tend to do what their leader does. 
The next clip is from Gil Hans, a golf course architect who was responsible for the design of the golf course they used for the Olympics in Rio in 2016, among many other elite golf venues across the world, including the Los Angeles Country Club, where they recently held the U.S. Open. In episode 139, Gil talks about his focus on the smallest of details and the impact that that can have if leaders take this approach. Check out this clip. I'll tell you a funny story. I was working recently at a very famous club and it was out there shoveling and raking uh, alongside our guys. And some members came along and they're like, oh, where's where's Gil? And like they didn't even they had no clue that it would be me. And then finally somebody said, well, he's right there. And they looked at me dead eyed and said, why are you doing that? Because that's all I know. That's how I know how to do golf course work. And, and it's, it's again, the, the little details, it's getting every single aspect of it. Right. And if, if I'm not willing to do it, then my guys are going to go, well, why am I doing this? You know, let's pass it down the ladder. So, you know, one of the things Jim Wagner always talks about, which, which I greatly appreciate, um, you know, cause we're, I'm a huge fan of his as well, but he says, listen, Gil's the f- often the first guy here and the last guy to leave. And he's the guy who gets dirty and he gets, he rakes and he shovels it. So if he's doing that, how can any of you on our team feel entitled to say, I don't want to do that or I don't feel like it? You know, there's nobody building a golf course or redesigning one today that doesn't have your name on the short list of of people that they'd at least like to talk to about doing the job. Give us the Cliff Notes version of, of how you built your business, Gil. It's always been small. I mean, one of the things that has been a focus for myself and, and, you know, Jim Wagner has been with me since 1995. So we're, you know, we're joined at the hip for a long time is that we want to stay small because we think it's important to give that personal attention so that people see myself or they see Jim, they, you know, it's not like an army of associates that, that show up. And so from that groundwork, we really started to lay the foundation of, okay, we're going to have to limit the amount of work we take on. We're going to have to really work hard, as I just said, in, in detailing that type of work. And then over the years, we've added two associates, um, Kevin Murphy and Ben Hillard, who are very capable golf course designers who do some of the office work, but also are on site. And Ben's a very capable shaper as well. And then Debbie McLaughlin runs the office for us. So we are really a very small, I, I always, you know, our, I think our website says we're intentionally small. And we are, and we really don't want to get any bigger than that. And then when we get into construction, we've got shapers out there that work with us. But I think it's it's always been a focus on attention to detail. You know, I'm not I'm not a big business guy, but I always remember this, and it's it's one of the only pieces of business advice in my office. Uh, it was John Lasseter from Pixar. It's simple. It says quality is the best business plan. <laughs> There's a lot and, of truth to that. <laughs> and so I think we've always tried to focus on quality first and foremost and, and that attention to detail. This next clip is from Justin Thomas, one of the world's best golfers. In my career, I can't begin to count how many times I've done what I call a best practice visit, where I'll sit down with someone I can learn from and try to pull out as many insights as possible to apply to my life and business. Well, Justin Thomas does these best practice visits as well. Here's a clip from episode 135, where Justin shares some of his learnings from legendary quarterback Tom Brady and how he's put that into practice. I would say uh, Tom 
Tom Brady has been great to me and I've been very, very thankful for his relationship and friendship. Just, you know, I've reached out to him on times when I've, you know, been doing well and times when I feel like I'm really in a funk and he's always willing to talk. And, you know, he kind of helped me break down that when things aren't going well, he's kind of weighs it down to three things. Is it physical, mental, or emotional? And if it's a physical, you don't have the confidence. And if you don't have the confidence, then it's probably some kind of mental. So it's like one thing can take care of the other, which can take care of the other. And something as little as that um, is something I fall back on sometimes and helps me. When you're in your position as a leader in your field and you're a celebrity, obviously, how do you make sure you get the truth from everybody? I mean, you know, when you're a leader, people will blow a lot of smoke. How do you make sure you you have truth tellers around you? You have to make some tough decisions, and I'm sure you've been in the same same scenarios and situations, but um, it's honestly another great piece of advice I got from, from Tom Brady is just like, he's like, man, it, it's tough because the more success you have, the more people are going to want to be a part of you and your life, and people are going to come out of the woodworks from high school, middle school, whatever it is, and it just is, it's one of those things to where it's like if, if a certain situation or a certain person doesn't bring out a, a better side of you or something positive out of you, then there's really, life is too short to even like associate yourself with that situation or person. And it's, it is, some will say it's harsh. Some will say that that's not necessarily the right thing to do, but it, it's true. You know, I, I'm, I'm so limited on, on my time and there's no need for me to waste any opportunities I have to potentially get better or bring out a better side of myself. So it's really just about associating yourself with the appropriate people and appropriate situations. Um, I mean, we're all going to make mistakes in that regard of, of, you know, maybe trusting someone that you should never telling someone something you shouldn't have, but especially in, in today's day and age of social media and everything going on. And uh, you, it's not, nothing's off the record. That's for sure. And you really just have to, you know, get a very close knit inner circle like I feel like I have and um, and kind of stick with it. You know, David, this next clip is something that I've actually never heard articulated before from a leader in this specific way. It's from David Solomon. He's a CEO of Goldman Sachs, and he says that leadership is taking people where they don't want to go. It's an interesting perspective, so let's listen in. This one is from episode 137. Leaders grow and evolve. There's not one leadership style, and everybody's leadership style has to grow and evolve, but I think all of us as leaders have to be very self-reflective and be willing to listen to not just the good stuff that comes in, but the critical stuff too. And you've got to be able to to not be overly sensitive to criticism and try to constantly figure out how can I evolve as a human being? How can I grow? You know, how can I expand my capacity? And then you also have to be willing to make difficult decisions and understand when you make difficult decisions, you know, they're not always going to be popular. And, you know, leadership is about taking people where they don't want to go. If you're, if you're taking them to a place where they're going on their own, they don't really need your leadership. And when you, when you have to make difficult leadership decisions, there are going to be times when people doubt and people, people criticize, and you have to be willing to, you know, listen to that and absorb it and make sure you're doing the right thing. But you also have to stay true to your convictions and not let the noise, you know, take you off course. You know, I try every day to listen, but I also try every day to have a lot of conviction about, you know, the things that we want to do and, you know, try to move forward slowly and steadily. But it's not, it's not a straight line. And it's certainly, 
You know, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, David, as you well know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, Kula. Navigating change is difficult for any leader. Whether you're like David Solomon says, taking people where they don't want to go, or even just getting people aligned around a common vision. I thought this next clip would be a great follow-up, and it's from Michael Walworth, the CEO of Yext, which happens to be the digital yellow pages of today. In episode 132, Michael talks about a strategy he has for navigating change and getting people's buy-in. Change is hard, even when you know it's the right thing. And even when organizationally, I mean, one thing I'll say about this company in particular is like, it is a group of people who want to find the right answer. And more than any company I've ever been part of, there's a spirit here of, you know, if you can show me that there's a problem, I want to help find the solution. Even if that means that my role has got to change or the scope of my, my job's got to change or I got to do something else or I'm wrong about this. There's a real great culture here of that. But even with that, it's just change is hard. And we've had personnel change and we have, we have some strategic changes and some approach changes. And every time you do it, it's hard. And, you know, there's no way to make it easy. Do you have a process that you use yourself to navigate through these challenges or, you know, how do you go about it? So my process, and, and it, it goes to, you know, what I, I think what I learned being an entrepreneur and being in the center of every decision and realizing that, that that doesn't work that well. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, and maybe I've I've overcompensated. So so I've gone from I'm going to control everything to, you know, what I think some of the, my team members refer to as, you know, radical delegation. So a big part of my process is like, I, I don't believe in tops down at any level. I think communication is important at the top level, but I can't ask my team to do things that they're not bought into. And so one of the ways that I try to manage the change process is just making sure that, you know, that everybody knows that the discussion is transparent, that we're all being very honest and very transparent about what's not working. And then to the extent that we have to make changes that everybody's buying in. And the, and the way I do that is by delegating a tremendous amount of responsibility and then making sure that we all feel a sense of accountability for the decisions that we make. And, you know, generally it feels easier to me when everybody's kind of bought into the choice we're making. Our next clip is from Chris Geisens, the president and CEO of Wawa, which if you don't know what Wawa is, it's one of the most beloved convenience store chains in America, and they're renowned for their culture. The way Chris leads is by putting his people first, which is, of course, a great strategy for any leader. Here's a clip from your conversation with Chris on episode 130. To understand, I think, a lot of my leadership philosophy, it, it really look at my background. I think, um, you know, one, I grew up with a father that had car washes and worked hard, didn't have a, a strong, deep educational background, but he just knew to work hard and treat people well. And I, I witnessed that all the time. And, and frankly, much of my leadership formation was here at Wawa. And much of that witnessed Dick Wood, our really our, our founder, modern day founder and CEO for decades. And Howard Stokel have this idea that if you put people first, it's always going to win in the long run. And specifically, you know, Dick was the one that, that would go to the stores and really make sure that they were heard, listened to, and, and propped up as the most important in the business. So that just always stuck with me. And, you know, throughout my time here at Wawa of 25 years, I've had opportunities 
to work closely with our store general managers at, at various times. And I always walked away seeing just such great conviction, such resolve, such strong leadership, such loyalty that it's hard to run from people like that. You just want to run towards them and make sure that you're supporting and giving everything you can. So that that's only grown for me because we're a pretty small company when it comes to overhead and we're pretty centralized and you know, corporate offices, as they grow, they can tend to believe that they're the center of the universe. And I just never really want that to happen. A lot of good things happen in our corporate office. A lot of great ideas and strategies get born here, but they just don't work and they won't come to life without great execution. And I think that's what's made Wawa successful over the years, great execution. And that's rests right on the general managers across almost a thousand stores. Well, Kula, you can never, ever go wrong by putting people first. And right around the Kentucky Derby in May, we aired my conversation with Bill Farish. He's the founder of Woodford Racing and the general manager of Lane's Inn, one of the world's premier thoroughbred breeding farms. Bill's another leader who puts people first, and in this clip, you'll hear how he does it. This is from episode 133. Take a listen. I try to hire great people. And, you know, our industry is pretty small. We try to encourage young people to move on from us to other farms where they can move up the ladder in, in terms of, uh, of their role. And because we have a relatively small number of managerial type positions, it's important that they do move on. And, and I think we've had a lot of success over the years training people to move up in the business. And that success encourages young people to come to us, I think. That's a very enlightened view because, you know, a lot of times people want to protect everybody and not get them to leave and focus on the continuity. But that's a real selling point for you to get top talent. It really is. and But I'm not telling you it's always easy to let somebody go. We've had some great people, but they're now running other operations, which is, which is fun to see. And it keeps it, you know, it's connections in the other operations that help us do things collaboratively. clip is from Nat Turner, who I learned in this episode is actually banned from using FedEx because of a business he had as a teenager where he was shipping live snakes. And apparently FedEx was not into that. Nat, though, is a serial entrepreneur and champions this idea that if you want to be successful, you have to just get started. Listen to this clip from episode 136, and you'll be inspired to have an even stronger bias for action. We have this opinion, Zach and I, we, we, we're very vocal about this. Uh, we've talked about it a ton, which is basically, you know, if you're going to start a company, just get started, you know, have an idea. The idea you start with will very likely not be the idea you end with. So just getting started is 99% of it. You know, the same goes with exercise and, you know, anything. Just make the initial effort, you know, get out there and start. And once you get going, you know, luck begets luck and work, be, you know, you start to see things, you start opening doors, you start meeting people, opportunity kind of, you know, start, you know, serendipity is a very powerful thing, I'll tell you, because when, when you start a company, you know, you just so happen to meet someone at a conference or in a meeting, and then they follow up or you follow up. And, you know, that's, you don't get that unless you're out there making it happen. And, and that initial idea is so important because when you have conversations with people, they can respond better to an idea. They can respond better to a prototype. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs will, hey, hey, can I have 30 minutes for coffee? 
busy people like you, like you're not going to me, like we're not going to, that's not going to be very productive. And let, but if someone says, hey, I'd love to show you a demo and they open up their laptop and they allow you to react to something and provide feedback on something tangible, that requires an idea, obviously. And, and that's the best way to get going. Um, and then pivot. That's the thing. You have strong opinions loosely held. So as you as you start going, you know, don't be don't have any pride of authorship. You know, Zach and I. I remember one meeting at Flatiron. We walked in with two laptops. We had two ideas. We were pitching the second opinion idea and clinical trial matching. We had demos for both, and we were going in the meeting, and we had the second opinion idea, and he was this guy was not loving it. And so we said, okay, uh, we'll put that one down. How about this idea? <laughs> and we we pulled up the second laptop and had a great second half of the meeting. This next clip is from Brad Richards, a two-time Stanley Cup champion and the MVP of the playoffs in 2004. The great leaders I know live in reality and accept what can sometimes be hard truths as a means to improving their performance. There's some great wisdom here from Brad that we can all apply as leaders. This is from episode 140. A lot of truth and honesty was told to me over the years, and I wish... When I was younger, I would have handled it better. As I get older, I realize if you can't handle the truth or can't accept the truth in what you're doing and how you're performing, you're just not going to get better because you'll find excuses. You'll find ways to ignore it or, oh, it's not, not me, it's someone else. Or Once you look yourself in the mirror and, and accept um, being told the truth all the time, you'll, you'll get better all the time. You know, I've done probably 150 podcasts and nobody's ever provided that answer, but that's, that's a great insight for everybody to listen to. And, uh, you know, what gave you the most satisfaction making the assist or scoring the goal? I was always more of a assist guy. I love, I love setting up my teammates. I mean, goals are great too. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, um, I think if, if anybody that knew me and played with me, they'd always say I'd probably last second, rather pass it than, than put it in the net. And sometimes my coaches, I, I drove them nuts doing that, but, uh, it was just an instinct that I love to do, and it worked out more than it it didn't. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's anytime you can help a teammate, um, I, I just think it's a it's a great feeling to see they're looking at their face when they point at you after you set them up. It is a great feeling. All right, David, this is our last clip, and I am so honored to be the one to announce it because it's from Bonnie Hill, an absolute queen and icon. For three decades, Bonnie has been successful in pretty much every area you can lead in, business, government, education, and even philanthropy. She's the co-founder of Icon Blue, a top branding company in LA, and she's also served on over a dozen Fortune 500 boards, including Yum Brands Board. It's a great closing thought that as leaders, we need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves too. So enjoy this clip from episode 134. When you come from the kind of background I did, people try to define you and they tell you who you are and what you can do and how far you can go. That's kind of a natural thing. Oh, you can't do that because. And so I developed a theme that said, never let anyone else define you. And I did that when I was working at Mills College, when the students there would come to my office and sit around on the floor to just chat. And they would ask questions like, who are the most important people in your life? And we as women tend to go through a thing where we say, oh, my husband, my children, and we never say ourselves. And I caught myself. And one day I said to them, no, let me start all over again. 
I'm the most important person in my life because if I want to take care of all of those I care about, I must first take care of me. And I can never let anyone else define who I am or define me. And you should never let anyone else do that as well. Well, David, that wraps up today's best of quarter two episode. It was a blast getting to listen to some of these powerful insights from the great leaders that we interviewed over the past quarter. And if you're listening to this episode, a simple action step for you this week is to just go back and listen to a conversation or two that you might've missed the past few months. They're all jam packed with leadership wisdom and there's so much that you can learn and apply from these great leaders. I couldn't agree with you more, Kula. I, I learned so much by doing these podcasts and hearing what these leaders have to say. And we've got some great episodes to come, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast so our episodes automatically download to your device as soon as they're released. Well, everybody, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be.